uh, this day is just really exciting. Like this is a, like we get to be in our very own building. And I'm sure like there's going to be things that as we are here for a while, it's like, oh, that, that's kind of annoying. This thing is, like that door doesn't shut all the way. There's going to be stuff that will always annoy us. But um, real quick, I just want to show you a few pictures of our brothers and sisters across the globe. This building is extremely exciting, but it is not everything. This building might frustrate us, it, uh, but we cannot be so bold as to be upset about something like a piece of our building when these men and women meet despite their lives. We have to remember these people across the globe who can't meet except for 2 to 3 a.m. in a remote cave unless they get caught and killed. But just look at the way they're cherishing their Bibles. Look at the way they're holding the Word of God. Christ and the people of Christ must be lifted up above this building. We meet here for the sake of Christ and for the sake of His people. We have to be more excited about the gospel of Christ than about this building. We are thankful that God did this for us, but it is not the end goal. 1 Peter chapter 1 we're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way through verse 2. Starting, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is just modern-day Turkey, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this place that we get to call our home, where we can dwell with you, where we get to come together to praise your name and your glory. God, would you help us to do that this morning? Would you help us to be all about you? Would you help us to raise up and lift up your name above all else, God? And with your word, we know uh, that, that we cannot understand it. We cannot even begin to understand it without your help. Would you help us, God? Would you show up to us and give us the wisdom, give us the, the daily bread that we need to go on, God? We thank you, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. A few years ago, I did the most adventurous thing I've ever done in my life. I got married. And uh, my wife's family, they are very adventurous as well. And one of the things that they love to do is go scuba diving. So being a part of the new family, I got indoctrinated into the process. I had to take the certification class. And one of the things that I did was wait until like the very last second to take all my tests and everything. Uh, just procrastinated. But I, so I sat there. I'm like, okay, this is going to be really hard. I got 100 on it. Didn't study or anything. Uh, so that was fun. And then we, so we get to go scuba diving. It's like the most amazing thing I've ever done. Like it's a whole new world down there. It's just insane. But I kept getting in trouble, like for touching stuff I wasn't supposed to touch and uh, swimming too low down. Like you're not supposed to go below 110 feet if you don't have the right certification. I didn't have that certification. I was in like 120, 130, um, which isn't smart if you know anything about scuba diving. Uh, so if they just had like a class that you could take to help you not know some of those things you're not supposed to do. But I actually have a video that my wife captured of me. I'll let you, I'll let you see that. 
That one's not me. The next one is. There I am. And there I go. Uh, a few days later, I washed up on shore. And <laughs> but our, our party that we were with, they were like, oh, you know what? We should do a night dive. And I was like, okay, let's not ever do that. Uh, but j just picture it. Like, just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. That's what it's like, just darkness underwater. Uh, it was just terrible. And there are creatures down there that you cannot unsee. Uh, like, just sharks, for instance, giant squids. Uh, King Lobster's the size of me, the Loch Ness Monster, Godzilla was down there for a little while. So we're on the way out to the spot, we're on these, you know, waves and we're getting briefed and getting splashed with water, you can't see it because it's all dark, but um, they're get, we're getting briefed and he's like, okay, two things, don't lose your buddy and don't lose your flashlight. Um, and I was like, okay, okay, I wasn't really listening, I probably should have listened. <clears throat> blah, blah, blah. We get down to the seafloor and it was amazing. He had us turn off all of our flashlights, and it's like bioluminescent. You're moving your hand, and you can see all these things glowing. Uh, and it was crazy until the end when everybody starts to ascend, go up for the, you know, the dive to be over. I still had some air left in my tank, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go check out this one little thing under this big old coral reef. And I spooked one of these things. He startled, swam at me. I just laid there like, in the water. Okay, this is it and this is for me being a dummy. Um, but I did the thing that you're not supposed to do. I dropped my flashlight. Uh, so we, we get back up to the top, and the guy says, where's your flashlight? And I was like, you can still see it down there. Um, and he's like, well, where's your backup? And I was like, well, I tied it to my, my primary so that I wouldn't lose that one. So I dropped both of them, lost them both. Uh, and so I went from light to darkness and welcome to our series, the opposite of that. <laughs> from darkness to light. Uh, just welcome to this, from darkness to light. Uh, in this series, we're going to be going through the book of First Peter. Uh, but before we get going, we just have to answer a few basic questions. The first is, who is Peter? Uh, why is Peter writing this letter? Who is he writing to? Peter he was one of the apostles of Jesus. This means that he walked with Jesus. He was an eyewitness of everything that happened with Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Peter, and he was just a normal guy. He was just a fisherman. And man, he messed up so many times. It's really kind of funny. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and then he's afraid. And then Jesus calls out and says, it is I, Jesus. And Peter says after that, who are you? <laughs> I don't know if Jesus just scratched his head, but... Uh, and then Jesus says, uh, Peter, come out on the water. And Peter comes out on the water for a second, and then he starts to sink. Uh, and then Jesus tells him, hey, look, I'm going to die. These things are going to have to happen per God's word. And Peter says, no, no, not you, Jesus. You're not going to die. And then Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Ah, oh, poor guy. Jesus told him to his face, why do you have such little faith? And then if all of that wasn't enough, there's this moment, like right before Jesus is crucified, when these people are coming to get him, um, Peter slices off this guy's ear. Now, I don't know if he was aiming for his head, but that's like the worst aim in the world to get his ear, or the most precise. He did that, like, I don't know if that was his plan. Um, but he's also one of the greatest redemption stories, too, because Jesus tells him one day, like, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. And then after Jesus dies, one of Peter, after one of Peter's sermons, thousands of people are saved. 
And he wrote this letter. Why? Why would he write this letter? 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 12, gives us that answer. I've written briefly to you, exhorting or encouraging and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's encouraging these people. He's building them up. Peter, the man who sank, now stands, and he's encouraging other people to stand too. So to answer our last question, who's he writing to? Like, why is he writing to these people? He's writing to the believers who are being persecuted. What happened, it's in AD 60, 60 AD. Uh, he's writing to these believers because uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome at the time, uh, for whatever reason, on accident, he burned a big old chunk of Rome and he didn't want to take responsibility for it, so he just blamed it on the Christians. So the government, all the, just everybody is against the Christians. So he, Peter, when he writes this, he has this in mind, like they're, they're being persecuted, they're suffering. They're going through just this really deep affliction. But this is an encouragement. The whole reason he writes this is to stand firm in the true grace of God. Notice it doesn't say run away from the persecution. It says stand firm in the grace of God. Whatever suffering is present, stand firm. That's what this letter is for. It's a call from darkness to light. Today we're just going to focus on those first two verses because they're, they're theologically dense. They're a little bit heavy. But Peter, he was a fisherman. And he's writing to other everyday normal people the theologically deep stuff is not just for pastors or scholars or theologians like the, the real big guys to know. The life that you and I live is hard for all of us. We all need this encouragement. So Peter writes this thing kind of super funky. It's, that's, the first two verses are one sentence, but what I want you to see is the structure. If we could break down the sentence, it looks like a sandwich. Peter, to those elect exiles, and then if you just go to the other, other bread part of the sandwich. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter, to those elect exiles, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then everything that is sandwiched between those two sentences explains those two sentences. These men and women are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ. And those people and those people alone get a multiplication of grace and peace. And this grace and peace encompass everything that these poor souls in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their suffering could ever want or need or fathom. He sums it all up right at the beginning. Why? Why is this encouraging for them? By writing these words specifically, Peter places the focus on the unmerited, undeserved blessings given to believers in Christ. Through God's marvelous grace, sinners are delivered from their sins and brought into a saving relationship with God the Father by the work of Jesus on their behalf, completely free of charge as a gift. Because of Jesus, there is now peace with God, grace and peace. But here's the truth. You and I need this same grace and peace, and you and I can have it. As believers, you and I have been dispersed from our homes as exiles in the sense that we belong in heaven. And our sin has forced us out. So when Peter writes that grace and peace be multiplied to you, it wasn't to a specific church. It was for all the elect exiles, everyone who's been pushed from their home, which is every believer. These are God's words to you and to me. 
but the grace and peace is only for the exiles, no one else. It's for those who long to be home, for those who do not conform to the values and worldview of this present evil age, for the exiles, the sojourners, the strangers of this world, God is encouraging us to live as exiles here on earth. How do we do that? If there is a grace and a peace that comes from living as an exile, how do we do that? Three ways from our passage, and they're all right there. The first is according to the foreknowledge of God. The second is in the sanctification of the Spirit. And the third is for obedience and sprinkling of blood. And the promise is that there is an overflow of grace and peace to you and I if we live as exiles here on earth. That's our goal. So point one, according to the foreknowledge of God, to understand this point, we must first understand what it means to be elect or, or chosen exiles. Uh, what does elect mean? For, uh, it means for us believers, God has chosen us. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is an encouragement. Why? Because when sin entered the world, not a single person was gonna seek after God without God having sought them out first. When we read the words elect, when we read the words chosen, it should give us a huge boost of God-given confidence because we remember that God in his love sought after us and chose us. Over the crib in our baby room, we have this sign, um, and it says this, I choose you, and I'll choose you over and over and over without a pause, without a doubt, in a heartbeat. I'll keep choosing you. Leah and I do not have to love our foster daughter or any of the foster kids that come into our home. We choose to love them. There is a joy that comes when you and I realize that God did not have to love us either, but that he chose to. God has chosen you and I. This is the reason the Bible describes us, you and I, as being adopted. Verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We are exiles according to the foreknowledge. So foreknowledge, uh, which is the Greek word for prognosis, where we get our English word prognosis from, uh, it just means to know before. So what does that mean? Because that can be heavy. It's a little deep, so bear with me. God is outside of the very construct of time. So the word foreknowledge is solely for you and I as finite humans. When we read that God has a foreknowledge. It's not that God is foreknowing anything. God is outside of the construct of time. So he can't know anything before. He just knows it. So for us, we are linear people. There is a beginning. There is an end. There is a middle. Uh, I got those out of order. I'm not very linear, I guess. Um, But not so for God. For God, yesterday isn't some time. It's where he is. A century from now isn't the future for God. It's a place that God is. He is eternal and everywhere. This is the God of the Bible. So breaking down the words, starting with no, what we see in the Bible is that no means to love. 1 John 4, verse 8 says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So the word knowledge could literally be translated love. So this could say, our verse could say, according to the four love of God the Father. So to know means to love, and since God loves outside the construct of time, for us, he loved before, but for him, he just loved. For our language, Ephesians 1 says that before, 
the foundation of the earth was laid, God had set his love on us. Before we had done anything positive or negative, God says, I will delight in that man and that woman. I will find them and I will save them. Foreknowledge is to love before the foundation of the world when the readers of this, of this persecution that's happening, the very government, think about that, all the, po- the political figures, the police, the firemen, nobody's coming to your house to save you. So when they read this, it's, a, it's an encouragement. It's like, God has chosen me. God loves me. So an argument that we have to address just with our culture is that since God is outside time and he knows everything, well, aren't we just all robots? Why do we pray? Why do we uh, evangelize if God knows everything? We have to let the Bible dictate our theology, not our own morality. Because the Bible is also clear that whoever calls on the name of Christ will be saved. We still have human responsibility. We still have a free will to choose whatever we desire to choose. And Mission Church affirms both of these truths. But another truth we affirm, since it's also found in the Bible, is that without faith in Jesus, left to their sin, men and women deserve to and are going to spend eternity in what the Bible describes a fiery lake of burning sulfur, a place where the fire never goes out, and eternal torment. We evangelize, we share the gospel, we adopt kids, we serve the poor and the hungry and the widow on the basis that we are not going to let anyone go to hell without our arms around their feet proclaiming the free gift of Christ. There's a deep purpose in God choosing you and I. In the very next chapter, Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen nation that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I were saved to be used, and there is a work for Jesus that no one but you can do. We are elect. We are chosen based on the before the foundation of the earth love of God the Father, and this gives us peace. How can you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light? This gives us encouragement. This gives us hope. Why? Because a God that we did not even deserve to see says to us by Jesus Christ, I choose you and I love you. We're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but we're also elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification comes from two words in the Greek, sanctus and fikari, which are Sanctus is holy, and uh, ficare is to make. So essentially, to make holy. So when you read sanctification, to make holy. The work it takes to make us holy and to be blameless before God and to be perfect before God, which is the only way you can be in the presence of God, it's the work of the Spirit alone. What does this mean? 1 Thessalonians 4 clues us into this. For this is the will of God. This is the plan of God your sanctification, your holiness, your perfection before God. In the context of our passage, you and I are elect exiles. If 
we are believers, we are elect exiles, which means we are not home. Sanctification then means to bring us home. That is the work of the Spirit here. This truth gives us peace because one day, not right now, but one day, we will be home. Right now we suffer. We're on a pilgrimage. We are exiles. We are not home. Life in this world, something just doesn't fit. Disease, death, nothing feels like home here. But this truth gives us peace because one day we will be. One day God will be our dwelling place. One day God's presence will cover the earth as the darkness covered the ocean that I was in without a flashlight. One day God is going to redeem everything and fix everything that is broken. How can you set your mind on these things? The things that are above. In what ways can you dwell in the Spirit? We're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit to bring us home. And lastly, we're elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. The elect exiles, us chosen pilgrims, are saved by God, chosen by God according to his plan by the work of the Spirit for a very specific reason. Obedience to Jesus. This means that the born-again believer delights in God's law. The direction of a new believer's life is obedience. Disobedience characterizes people who don't know God, who are not loved by God. Those who are adopted children of God are obedient to Scripture. Just look at uh, 1 John. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. Why is obedience to Jesus a grace and, and peace multiplying thing? The same way that when I follow the rules of scuba diving, I do not die. It's more joyful for me to follow the rules that tell me not to grab a shark because very simply that law literally gives me life. It's the same way. They are not burdensome. Obedience brings peace, but what if I tried? What if I tried and that sin, it just still ate my lunch? Every day I have to struggle with that. Peter covers that too in the next part of the sentence for sprinkling with his blood. This very specifically, when the readers read this, they knew exactly what was happening. This refers to Christ's atoning work on the cross where by the blood all of the believer's sins were washed away. Because in the old covenant, the one with Abraham, it had to be secured by the shedding of blood. They split the animals in two and then they walked through them together. The same is true with the new covenant in Jesus where the, the blameless and spotless and sacrificial lamb of Jesus was slain to cover those in belief in his blood. When we take communion together, it's a remembrance of this blood that was shed and that gives us peace. Because on our own, we don't have much. But covered in this blood, covered in this perfect blood, this spotless blood, this sacrificial lamb's blood, then, then we have it. Then it gives us peace. The grace of God to us in shedding of Jesus' blood gives us immense peace. So then the question is, how can you remind yourself of this blood? In what ways can you remind yourself of the atoning work of Christ on the cross that you may obey Jesus? your joy. They are not burdensome.
we live as exiles according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience and sprinkling of blood, the promise from God's word is that we are going to have grace and peace multiplied to us. It's the only way to that grace and peace. But Ephesians 2 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens and exiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Grace and peace are found in the God of grace and peace. And by Jesus we have. Grace and peace dwell with the exiles. There is no escaping it. So my charge for us in this room is to live boldly as exiles. Live your life as though God the Father has chosen you. Live your life as though the Spirit will bring you home. Live your life in obedience to Jesus whose blood was spilled on your behalf for all the times that you feel discouraged and disappointed and disqualified, for all the lies of the enemy that tell you that you are not worthy or that you cannot serve or that you cannot be used because of your sin, Peter writes, to my elect exile brothers and sisters, stand firm, be encouraged. I stand here before you as one who doubted, one who was unfaithful, one who sank, one who denied Jesus, and yet look at what God can do. Live a life boldly for the glory of God and for the sake of other exiles. The most important thing that you and I will ever do as a church is not to bring more people here. But it's here in 30 minutes or so when we walk out, when we go to lunch, when we live our lives. We just meet here. We go as ambassadors of ambassadors of Jesus Christ with God making an appeal through us to other people who and we want them to be exiles too so we go with grace and peace and we stand firm we step out of our darkness into light in light of this we're going to take communion together um, and it's going to be a little bit different in that they're not going to be at the sides they're going to be behind you now um but if you're here this morning and you've been adopted in by God into God's family, then you're welcome to the table to partake with us. But if you're an unbeliever or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain seated and do not partake because 1 Corinthians says that you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. If you're unrepentant, Christ died to save you from your sins, including the ones that you're currently in. Repent today. If you're an unbeliever, there is a home waiting for you. And a God who longs to save you. Who will take you there by his power? Cast your burdens on him. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and ask Jesus to save you. For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, we confess that we need Jesus' body and blood to cover our sins. 
Would you encourage us by your word to walk in the grace and peace you have brought us into? In Jesus' name we pray. You and I need letters like this to point us to the joy and peace and grace that we have in Christ because we are super quick to forget. So for us, elect exiles, may grace and peace be multiplied to us. One day, you and I will be home. How? How is this true? Because home came to get us. Our grace and peace is eternally secure, all because on the night when he was betrayed, he had given thanks. And when he had broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which was spilled for us. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that you have secured for us an eternal grace and peace by your spirit according to your plan, according to your love for us so that we may obey, so that we may have joy. God, we thank you that your word to us is not, uh, is not too heavy. We thank you that your word to us is encouraging and an encouragement for all of us who we really feel like we are not home yet. Would you help us by your grace to remember this truth every day of our lives, God? By your spirit, would you bring us home? In Jesus' name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen.